Welcome to Bisexual Breakdown, where we have breakdowns as we break down pop culture. I'm your host, Serena, and I'm here with my co-host, Katie. Hello. And our special guest for this episode is our friend, Snap. Hi, thanks for having me. And today we're going to be talking about the queer rom-com that's taken the world, or at least our corner of it, by storm, Red, White, and Royal Blue. But before we begin, um, we should let our lovely friend, Snap, introduce herself. Sure. Well, hi, everyone. I'm Snap. Snapchat Maestro is my full name, (laughs) but I go by Snap or Maestro. So yeah, I am also bisexual. (laughs) I know Katie and Serena through this Discord server that they run. And so we've been friends for a few years since I joined. I first got into fandom, I want to say... Well, I guess depends on what you define as getting into fandom. But I guess I first started reading like fic and stuff when I was probably around like 11 or 12. Yeah, maybe around that time. And my first fandom was reading for Harry Potter, which I think is probably a very quintessential experience. And then I was like reading a little bit for the Hunger Games fandom before I got into the fandom that the three of us are a part of and that brought us together yeah after that point I feel like for a long time I was kind of on the fringes and then I was basically reading fic and like you know on tumblr and stuff just interacting with the fandom in that way for quite a long time until I joined the discord server I think in 2021 I think it was earlier than that was it yeah, I think it was 2020. Maybe. Now, it's so hard for me to keep track now. It feels like it's been like three years, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say it feels like I'm also just like really bad at judging the passage of time, but like I, it feels like I don't remember you not being on the server, if that makes yeah. sense. Oh, yeah. I feel like I've been, I've been there like a while, but also I was definitely like not one of the very first group to join. But yeah, I mean, I've definitely been there for a while. And I mean, like the community is so great. So I've loved being there and staying there and just like made so many great friendships through it that it feels like it's been a long time. But but yeah, so then I think getting into that discord was honestly my very first experience really like interacting with fandom directly, like not just kind of observing it in a very passive like consumption way, but actually like participating by you know writing and being involved in fests and like also just like having fandom friends in general and having a space to like talk about it besides just like dumping stuff onto tumblr (laughs) but i I mean besides that i did actually i do actually have two in-person friends who are also into that fandom i kind of just happened to find that out yeah i guess that's basically my fandom history journey and so I guess since that server and since that fandom, I've kind of hopped around to a couple other ones, like kind of interested in like Stranger Things a little bit and also like Red, White and Royal Blue, obviously. But 
I think that fandom is still always going to be like my home fandom. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's how we feel about it too. It's it's home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like the one that I've been in the longest, and just got always going to be the special one for me. But definitely the brain rot for, for Red, White, and Royal Blue has majorly taken over since the book and since the movie. So Yes. And so we have Snap on this episode because the three of us have been utterly consumed by Red, White, and Royal Blue since it dropped on Amazon two months ago. So much so that the three of us have a little group called... Um, Katie, tell people what the group chat is called. <laughs> <clears throat> it's Nikki G and TZP Brain Rot Central. Yes. Yeah. It's good. It really rolls off the tongue. Uh huh. (laughs) The rhyming. So we are all in different countries, but Katie and Snap happen to be in the same time zone while I'm eight hours ahead. So I go to bed and then I wake up to 200, 300 messages (laughs) from these two, like full on pterodactyl screaming about Nicholas Galatine and Taylor Zakar Perez and analyzing the movie literally frame by frame. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Katie and Ari are actually also two time zones apart. It's just that I'm always up late and Katie's always up early. (laughs) So we are in three different time zones. We are, yeah. I think uh, Snap and I are like two hours apart. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So... Yeah, we are in different time zones, but I mean, we're a lot closer. We're a lot closer than you, Serena. Yeah, I don't know. What's like the record? Like, what's the most number of messages you've woken up to? It was definitely more than 300. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) No, I enjoy it. I'm just sad that I'm not around for thirsting hours, but you know. (laughs) Yeah, like we said before, we got to make the thirsting hours just happen during your evening and our afternoon. Like, It's so hard to live a normal life and get in those thirsting hours. (laughs) (laughs) Midday thirsting. Very briefly, let's talk about what is Red, White, and Royal Blue and why are we talking about it? We should mention that it's like the number one streamed movie on Amazon for weeks and one of the top three streamed rom-coms of all time. Yeah, so Amazon put out a press release that Red, White, and Royal Blue was the most streamed movie for like weeks after it aired and that they saw like huge numbers of signups for new accounts on Amazon specifically because people wanted to watch this movie. And they also said that it's the top three streamed rom-com of all time, although they didn't mention what the two others are. And I'm curious to know what they are, but it's irrelevant because we're only here for Red, White, and Royal Blue. That's crazy. I think that maybe a third of those streams are because of me. Yeah, probably. Just this group chat. <laughs> like even just the trailer, when it, the trailer first dropped, like within like a day, there were like 5 million views or something like that. And only half of those were me. Yeah, only, <laughs> only half. <laughs> I feel like I've, I've, I've been the same way watching the blooper reel, like just over and over. <laughs> I know. And the the problem with the blooper reel is that it's so short. So you finish it and you're just immediately like, okay, so (laughs) back to the beginning. (laughs) It's like two minutes long. We got to keep this, keep this wave going. I kind of want to mention that Casey is, is one of us in the sense that they are also a fandom person who wrote fanfic and maybe still does. We don't know Um, who you actually met at a fandom Type event a while ago 
Didn't you, Katie? I did. I did meet them at a fandom event. I honestly, I don't even remember what year it was. It might have been 2014. And we were in the same fandom at the time. And I was in Chicago. And I went to a party with a bunch of people from the same fandom. Can you tell us what the fandom is? (sighs) Yeah, it's not a secret because I already mentioned it in the in the original intro episode. It was One Direction. I was in Chicago for a One Direction concert. It always comes back to One Direction. Yeah, like I said, <laughs> that should that should be my life motto. It always comes back to One Direction. It's so true. How is that so true? Anyways, I saw them in Chicago. I think it was 2014. And then um, a, my friend's friend was like throwing a big party after. And it was just like full of like fandom people, lots of them that I didn't even really know. And I guess Casey was there and I don't remember them. Um, I feel really bad about that, but they were there. And my friend um, who I was visiting and went to the show with in Chicago, who I'm still really close with to this day, brought it up to me recently. We were talking about the movie and she was like, yeah, remember we met Casey? I was like, no, what are you talking about? (laughs) Like, when? What are you talking about? And yeah, and I guess they were at that party. So Casey, if you're listening, I know you're not, but if you are, so sorry. Sorry, I don't remember you. I feel really bad about it. So today we learned that Casey is a One Directioner, or was, or maybe still is. Who knows? So we'd like to start off this discussion by contextualizing the film and the history of modern queer narrative. So let's talk about how important it is that this film comes out at this moment in time and um, how much does it rely on queer stories that came before it? And what would it have meant to people like us, queer folks, but also to the general public more broadly to have seen this film maybe 10 or 20 years ago? So I don't know. So, I mean, definitely, I feel like even coming out now, it seems like a film that is pretty if not revolutionary, at least like a pretty big step in terms of showing a pretty, like a basically a, a queer relationship in the spotlight, the main characters. It's like what the whole story revolves around. And the movie, especially like because it's more focused on the romance than maybe some of the other things that the book talks about, like, and the way it just like explicitly kind of shows like two men, you know, falling in love and like all of what that means, like having sex and everything. Like, I think that is even at this point in time, still like a pretty big step. And I think a lot of people were maybe shocked in a good way, like surprised of how much they showed and and were willing to show. But yeah, I mean, I think for me, like, if this had, if this kind of movie had come out, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, when we were young, like, I don't know. I don't even know where I would be. <laughs> yeah, it would have blown my mind completely. It would have definitely completely blown my mind. I think it would have also made me probably realize some things earlier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be fair, it also blew our minds now. So oh, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's kind of what I mean. Like, it's, it's, it's already like a, a step, like, I don't even know what the right word is. It's not like progress in itself, but I guess kind of like, you know, representation, progress and representation. Because I feel like a lot of 
queer films up till now have been like either kind of small time like indie type of films or stories and or like there'll be like big budget blockbusters like this Amazon production or Marvel or something like that but the queer story and the queer character is always like a side character or, or the fact that they're queer is kind of like incidental to the story their relationship is never the focus of the of the movie you know what i mean so it's like it's like this was like one of the first i feel like big budget productions that like solely focused on the relationship and like showed it for all that it is yeah and the treatment was so joyful i don't think i've ever gotten like the sense of like this pure queer joy that is effused into the movie so many queer stories are tragic and sad or painful. And, you know, it's not like this movie doesn't get into some of those things. Um, and especially in the book, it dives much deeper into the, the pain and issues that the characters are working through. But the overall emotion that you get coming, off, you know, coming from this movie is one of joy and celebration. And I find that that's so rare in queer stories. At least, like, mainstream ones or, you know, ones that have, you know, like, that we have grown up with. Like, I I don't recall ever feeling this way about something that was in the mainstream media about, like, queer representation. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's definitely happening more now. Like, I would say a very similar type of feeling that you get coming out of, like, Heartstopper, for example. Yeah, which is also very new. Yeah, it like also just came out or like this, I'm, which I'm sure you guys will talk about in another episode, this movie we just watched together, Bottoms, that Nicholas was also in, <laughs> was also just like queer revenge fantasy. But like that also came out this year. And I mean, before this point, I mean, obviously there have been like you have to acknowledge that this film is like standing on the shoulders of like those that came before it. But like you said, Serena, like a lot of queer stories, I feel like focus on, you know, the tragedy and the like pain of coming out, of not being accepted, of, you know, having a love story or a like a a one-sided unrequited kind of relationship and not really on like the pure joy and happiness and positive things that can come out of being queer kind of going off of what snap said a little bit like i mean obviously every new like queer content thing that comes out whatever it is like book movie tv show whatever they're all kind of like standing on the shoulders of what came before it because every little bit counts if that makes sense, it almost feels like every little bit of like repre- representation we get in media is kind of something that's had to have been fought for and had to have like happened slowly over the years. I don't know. I feel like Red, White, and Royal Blue is a little bit singular also in a way. There's really nothing like it. You could compare it to Heartstopper in the like joyfulness, but it's not even really similar to Heartstopper in People have, like, issues with Heartstopper and how, like, pure it's, like, portrayed. Mm -hmm. I don't have those issues with it. It's kind of, like, a thing where queer people are expected to be kind of, like, everything at the same time. Queer people 
have to be like pure and perfect and they can't be like talk about sex but then also sometimes it's like oh well sometimes queer people always are portrayed as like only caring about sex mm-hmm. right you can't really like win in that situation and so I feel like red white and royal blue is kind of like almost the perfect middle ground in that situation because it is sexy and they have sex with each other but it's like a very unpromiscuous and it's very like loving and like monogamous kind of like sexuality that they portray which I do think is kind of unique and singular like I said so yeah like it is definitely all like queer narratives are standing on the shoulders of like what has come before and like we already mentioned like I think that if I had seen this like 10 or 20 years ago it would have exploded my brain like really and truly I I don't know like I mean I'm old enough that I remember I I mean I saw Brokeback Mountain in theaters which is like one of the earliest kind of like queer pieces of media that I remember consuming when I heard that it was being made into a movie I found the short story that it was based on online and I read the short story it was horrifying and tragic yeah Mm -hmm. and then the movie came out and it was horrifying and tragic and sad it's still like one of the only movies that's like guaranteed to make me sob and weep every single time I watch it I'm not hating on Brokeback Mountain it's like one of my favorite movies ever I definitely feel like there's value and worth in showing that this is still an issue like homophobia is still an issue that happens in many people's lives but the like queer joy is just like I don't know I I feel like it's so new and I feel so protective over it it feels so like personal and something that I feel like I need to keep so close to my chest yeah it and it feels necessary right like it feels like it's it's needed like it's something that we're missing and I kind of like think about it in a similar way to like how stories about you know especially like this is going to be a very U.S. centric comment but I think it kind of applies to other countries as well but in the U.S. like a lot of films and stuff about the like racism and the suffering of black people in the country and slavery and stuff are like the the stories that are portrayed about African Americans in the country are always these very tragic sad stories and I think like a lot of people of color in the country are just, you know, kind of aching and yearning for these like joyful stories about them where you can see yourself represented on screen and it doesn't have to be this tragedy. It doesn't have to be awful all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's kind of similar to how like queer people feel about like, obviously the stories about coming out and the stories about, you know, being bullied and being you know in environments where your parents like don't accept you your family doesn't accept you your community throws you out you know the violence surrounding all of that like all of those need to be told because people need to be aware that those things happen but it's also really like refreshing to see something that's you know just joyful for one yeah and it doesn't even necessarily have to be realistic because I mean there's so many like heterosexual romances that are wildly unrealistic but like they get to have the fairy tale why can't queer people have the fairy tale right right 
And it's interesting too, what Katie was saying earlier about like showing sex on screen and like how when queer relationships are portrayed on screen, a lot of times they're this like kind of deviant thing. Like they're always like people who are, you know, super promiscuous or something, which obviously like that in itself isn't a deviant behavior, but like it's always portrayed that way. And like, you know, gay sex on in like any TV show where I've seen it before, which is like firstly very few, but also like usually a side character. It's always this like really rushed, hot, sexy like thing. And it's like, you know, over and done. And the like one of the characters is always like, you know, trying to get something out of the other character. It's not usually this like loving relationship. And I don't know, it's it's really interesting to me too, like the fact that this movie was rated R and like based on the scenes that they showed, like did it warrant that rating? I mean, I have definitely seen racier hat scenes on TV and in movies that didn't get the R rating. So like, what is it about this? Right. Yeah. And it kind of speaks to that same like perception of like queer people and queer sex and queer love. as Like somehow it's more taboo. It's yeah more risque. Yeah, and I think that like the portrayal yeah. of, of sex in this movie was so like carefully done to communicate like the deep emotional connection that the two characters had and like really focus on intimacy. Like it wasn't explicit, right? But then but somehow like while you're watching it, like you feel like you're witnessing something that you you shouldn't because it's so deeply intimate and personal and evocative in a way that like just like a full-out raunchy sex scene even though that would be more explicit it just doesn't compare somehow yeah I was gonna say I think that ties into we were kind of having this discussion earlier today about how in queer media and I I found it especially with people's expectations around this movie as well there was just like such there's such an expectation of queer films to develop a connection between the two like romantic partners as well as like the chemistry everyone who was like anticipating this movie will remember when the casting was released and those first few like clips of Nick and Taylor interacting were like posted and everyone was freaking out because they thought they didn't have any chemistry and I just like cannot think of a single heterosexual romantic movie that has ever come out where that has been a topic of conversation. Or at least have been under that much scrutiny. Yes. And I can think of some movies I've seen where they put together two of the most like slapdash, like half-assed heterosexual romantic pairing. What's an example? I okay, one that I was thinking of that I think was genuinely like so terrible was um Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence in that like Oh, the the one in space? Yes. I saw that and I was like there was zero chemistry in that movie. Yes. And I mean that's just like the first one that came to my head. I I feel like I could name almost any movie that has a heterosexual relationship in it and it would work for that where like 
the only expectation from the source material or from like the movie or whatever is just that these are two people who are very attractive one is a man one is a woman obviously they're gonna like fall in love with each other and (laughs) and and there's just like a really heavy expectation on queer content to develop a connection between them and to find chemistry otherwise people aren't going to believe that these people are into each other and I feel like it's like a double standard and I think that it's something that Red White and World Blue did well I mean they found two people who do have like an insane amount of chemistry and they did spend the time to develop the connection between the two and I I still see people kind of criticizing that maybe it's not what it should be and I just don't really and it seems like the bar for queer rom-coms in general is so high when it's actually so 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 low for heterosexual like rom-coms like I remember watching like it was like a Christmas rom-com starring Lindsay Lohan and this guy from Glee what's his name Cord Overstreet. So many bad ones. It was so bad. And like these two have zero chemistry. And it was like they were acting in like two entirely different movies. But this movie was like pretty hyped and it's like, oh, Lindsay Lohan is back. And you know. Yeah. And it was just it was just bad. It was it was so bad. But like it's a dime a dozen, right? There's so many so many movies like that for straight people. But like you come up with a queer rom com and it has to be perfect. Perfect. Yeah, and the crazy thing too is like, or I feel like a lot of people comment on this, like on Tumblr or whatever, where fandom spaces live, like, why can't queer people also have just bad, terrible Hallmark movie type movies, you know, like these like super cheesy over the top, like, obviously, we want good quality movies as well. But like, you shouldn't like, yeah, that shouldn't be like, you know, the the criteria for entry. Right, right, right. Like, we also deserve to have, like, the stupid movies, you know, just because they're fun sometimes, you know, to just rot your brain. <laughs> what is your relationship with the source material? Are you a book person, a movie person, or both? Um, do you like one better than the other? Katie, let's start with you. Since Snap and I are kind of similar, and you're a little bit different. Yeah. I'm the odd one out. I don't want to get a reputation as like a book hater. It's a totally valid position to have. And obviously we love you and do not, you know, judge you for this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm definitely a a movie person. I read the book. I, I did my due diligence. I read, I did read the book. I read it when I found out that it was going to be made into a movie and I just kind of wanted to stay on top of things. And I pretty much everyone I know in my fandom spaces had read it. So I thought I might as well get in on it. Um, Just like it was good. I I don't know. I just don't think it was like my favorite book. I think I mentioned before that it, it led me to read a bunch of books that I like a bunch of LGBTQ books that I much prefer to it which maybe we should do an episode about one day. But anyways, <laughs> I, I enjoyed the book. It definitely wasn't my favorite thing in the world. It did. I mean, I was excited for the movie when I finished the book because I was like, oh, I wonder, you know, how how much they're going to show, I guess, was the big thing because the book is pretty notoriously horny on Maine, I would say. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
definitely not the most explicit thing I've read, but like pretty horny for like a mainstream novel, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, like what is this going to be like? What is this the adaptation going to show? Like, you know, I'm always down for watching hot guys make out with each other, so like I was on board. <laughs> so yeah and then I don't know I got so on board with the hype for this movie I have to give credit where credit is due the marketing team for the movie oh my god they were amazing they totally know who their target audience is and they were pushing all our buttons I want to like give them all a kiss on the cheek like they were they did such a good job I was so reeled in by just like the slow release of content Mm -hmm. and I was so hyped I was so excited they they really got me good give them their bonuses like pay them twice whatever they got paid they're amazing (laughs) shout out to the marketing crew on red white and world blue but anyways yeah I do like the movie more than I enjoyed the book I have rewatched the movie many times. I probably won't reread the book unless they release an audiobook version that Nick and Taylor read. If they do that, I will reread the book. <laughs> or if Casey releases the horny version, because they said on Reddit, like they didn't ask me anything um, on Reddit, and they said that they dialed down the spicy scenes because they were nervous about like publishing it in a novel and I, I they I think they posted some lines that they cut from the book and alluded to like a lot more spicy content and so if Casey ever releases the horny edition of this book yeah I would probably reread it I would at least reread the sex scenes <laughs> <laughs> I mean Casey like we mentioned Casey's yeah, Casey is one of us. Obviously, I I could kind of guess that like at one point the horny scenes were probably hornier mm-hmm. and like had to be dialed back. That like makes a lot of sense to me. Again, as they are like a fandom writer. They know their shit. <laughs> they know their shit. So yeah, that's kind of my relationship with the source material. I'm a movie person and I won't apologize for it. That's okay. And you should not feel like you have to. All right, Snap, maybe you should take this because <laughs> you and I are on the same page about this. And we have had many, many conversations about how much we love the book, yeah. even though we, we do love the movie. Yeah. But I think that we're coming from a place where um, we love both the book and the movie, um, but we love them in separate ways. Right. And, you know, we kind of treat them as two separate things. So I love the movie as the, the movie as an adaptation of a book I love. I don't think it quite captured all the things that I love about the book, but that's fine. Um, I enjoyed it as it is for what it is. What about you, Snap? Yeah, I think, yeah, like you said, we've had a lot of discussions about this. So I'm, I feel pretty similar. Like, I guess I would probably if I had to choose say that I'm a book person, um, just because, you know, I kind of similar to Katie, I read this I actually thought I read it closer to when it first came out, but I guess I only read it last year. Like I thought I was looking at my Really? Yeah, I was looking at my reading journal and I was like, wait, this doesn't make sense. I thought I read this at least in 2020 or 2021. Unless I maybe logged it wrong or something. That's also entirely possible. Anyway, it was one of the first queer books that I just I read. Like I read um 
the song of Achilles before it. And I think maybe also Circe, although maybe I read that one after. But yeah, it was it was up there as like one of the first ones that I read besides like obviously fanfic. <laughs> but it was just, I think maybe because it was first, I have like a special place in my heart for it. And it was just, I, I don't know, I feel like Casey's writing is just incredible. It made me laugh. It made me cry. Like, it's just every one of their turns of phrases is just so incredible. I don't know. I, I routinely go back and just, like, find passages from the book and, like, read them. And I'm like, oh, I wish these could have made it into the movie. At um the same time, like, I want to definitely say that I really do enjoy the movie for what it is. Like, um, we've talked about how, like, revolutionary it is as a story and as a film. And I think that, you know, Taylor and Nick, had such amazing chemistry. I don't really understand people who say that they don't. And I think that chemistry was like the most, like the the thing about the movie that I love the most. It totally drove the story forward for me. And it was definitely, you can just see how much love and work they put into um, making the film based on their chemistry. I do like despair of certain things that were left out, kind of similar to Serena. I do really enjoy them both as separate things, but I think probably the book will always just be like that special story for me. I also did actually listen to the audiobook. I think one of the really cool things, so I, the first time that I experienced the book, I read it as an audiobook and I reread it as an audiobook recently and I think the only part that I've actually just physically read has been like the bonus chapter from the collector's edition that one there's no audiobook for so yeah the reader of the audiobook is is really good and I think that like he really nails the character so like it's a you know it's a different way of experiencing book and it's it's really great Absolutely. And like, there's like certain parts, like maybe just a few parts, but one of my very favorite parts of all time, it's in Spanish. And the audiobook uh, narrator clearly like is fluent in Spanish. And so I don't know, it just comes across really well. I think they did a really phenomenal job. And I think that that discussion kind of flows into like the next point that I wanted to discuss, which is what are your favorite things about the movie? This could be like an hour long podcast by itself. My favorite things about the movie, there's so much that I really appreciate about it. I don't even know where to start. Like genuinely, I'm like a little at loss. <laughs> I was like, I could talk about this all day. And then I try to talk about it and I'm like, I just really love it. I'll say that one of the best things about it, and I think that this is one of the reasons why so many things got cut and I know that people are upset about the number of things that got cut but genuinely like the flow of this movie is amazing there's just like not a single moment where it slows down and I mean that in a very good way like I I feel like even the moments where it feels like it does slow down a little bit like you could argue that love scene in Paris is like a very slowed down scene and it really gives you the time to like appreciate what's happening even the scenes like that that feel kind of like slow 
are just like captivating <laughs> they're so captivating that it feels like they're not slow because you're you like can't look away from the screen i i do feel like i understand that people are upset about the their favorites things getting cut from the book but i do feel like they did a lot of correct choices that makes the movie flow and work the way that it does and i can't be I can't fault them for that. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine how difficult it is to make a movie from a book that is so rich in the amount of content it has. I can't imagine how difficult it is to try to make those choices about what will work in the movie and what needs to be kept in and what unfortunately needs to be cut, especially when I'm sure that the director is aware of how big the fandom is for the book and how many people have such different um, opinions on what their favorite parts are. And it's like, no matter what gets cut out, someone is going to be upset. It's genuinely a situation of like, you cannot please everybody. So we're going to have to try to please the most amount of people that we can, including people that are new to this source material i was honestly shocked at how many people i saw who were watching this movie who had never like heard of the book before but then that's also me being like delusional in my little like corner of fandom and being confused about why people don't know about all the same things i do (laughs) but you know like so many people had never like heard of this book before and were going into the movie for the first time without having read the book or even heard of the book and you're trying to please all of those different points of view coming in to this movie and that's why I think that genuinely I I think that this was the best of what we could have hoped for in this medium like I don't even won't even like consider what things would have been like if it had been given like a mini series because I know that that this is kind of an unpopular opinion I don't think a mini series would have worked I I think that this is like the best option that we were given and I'm really happy about it. I think a lot of the right decisions were made, especially in casting. And um, I love it so much. Matthew Michael Lopez, I think, said in one of the early interviews that um, they made, you know, very deliberate choices about what to include. And I'm sure that, that those were very difficult um, decisions. But he said something like anything that wasn't that wasn't Alex and Henry had to go. Like they, they really um, specifically focused on the romance and developing those characters and their connection and and showing how that, um, that romance um, blossomed. Um, And that's, that's perfectly fine. And they did so well and gave it so much care and attention that I appreciate so much. And so like, I understand why, all the other stuff had to go because they would not have been able to do this as well as they did if they were concerned about all these other, including all these other things. And in a two hour movie, they wouldn't have been able to give those other things justice anyway. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm totally fine with that decision. Yeah. I was actually, it was really interesting to hear Katie, your perspective also on like the pacing and the flow Because I think it's funny, like the very first time I watched it, because I went into it with the expectations of like, 
I'm going to see the book that I love, like, translated on screen. Like, I thought the movie was so fast. I thought the pacing and the whole story arc just went so quickly and was, like, their relationship felt, like, squeezed and kind of, like, a little bit rushed to me in terms of the pacing and everything. And on rewatches, I actually don't feel that as much because I think now I go into it with a different expectation of like what the movie is and what the story they're telling is. But I think on the very first watch when I had these expectations coming from the book and the book obviously is like whatever 400 some pages allows them to the space to like slowly grow in their relationship and then of course also has time for all of these other storylines like I that was kind of my uh, opinion the first time I watched it but like now that I can kind of separate them in my head as like two distinct things like the movie from the book I don't feel that nearly as much I don't know if you had similar thoughts on it Serena or Katie if you yeah well for me I was like I I was already conditioning myself going into this movie that like don't expect to see the book you love on screen because that's just that's impossible and so like you know like I was kind of like psyching myself it's good it's okay it's gonna be okay you might not see this but you're gonna be fine you're gonna love it anyway and I did um I mean I do miss like a lot of things I wish I could have seen it but like I'm so happy with the movie that we got Uh, I'm not going to complain about it. Yeah. And I think like, if we want to talk about favorite things about the movie, like definitely my favorite thing is like their chemistry, their chemistry between the two actors and how much care they put into showing the, the love between the characters. Like there were so many shots of like, just, you know, very subtle things, but things that are just so dear to all of us I feel like but you know like the care that they put into I don't even know (laughs) there's like so many little things like their hands the way that they look at each other just like choreographing of a lot of this yeah and like micro expressions like just like subtle shifts in their facial expressions when something happens or when they look at each other absolutely yeah I think that was what kind of knocked the movie out of the park for me and I don't, I can't imagine anyone else in those roles now. Like, that was just, like, the most perfect casting yeah, and, that they could have possibly I think, done. Like, maybe I have a different, like, opinion than Katie that, like, I would love for this to be a series if they could expand this, like, all the other arcs, just because those are the things I would love to see translated to screen. At the same time, like, there's no way that's going to happen because I need them to cast all the same people. Yes, it has to be. And even the the supporting characters, right? Like, I need everybody exactly the same. At least I need, like, like, Alex's parents to be the same. Nora. Nora, like, Rachel Hilton. Zara. Sean. Amy. Yeah. Some of the like, if they if they really want to put like the queen back instead of Stephen Fry, like I'm not going to be mad about it. But anyway, it's it's like it's like a moot point because they're never going to make like with the same people. Like they like 
they could make a TV series, I don't know, in 10, 15 years if they want to reboot it, you know, because there's constantly reboots happening all the time. But it's never going to be this cast again, which is which is disappointing. I don't think I'll be over it in 10 to 15 years time. So if like they rebooted it, I feel like, no, I don't ruin this for me. Like, you know, Taylor is my Alex and Nick is my Yeah, Henry. we'll just still be on we'll, <laughs> this podcast trying to talk about Red, White, and Royal Blood. We'll be, we'll be on this podcast in 10 years. So now shit talking the new <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll be like how dare they yeah who the fuck is this like gen alpha character they cast for for alex and henry <laughs> i just don't like the kind of like fun thing about this i will say is that i feel like i don't know if it would work in 10 years it had to be this moment in time. It doesn't really feel like, I don't know, it's even hard to say what it'll be like in 10 years. Like in 10 years, it could feel so dated. We just don't know. Um, and I, I want to relate that to like historical context, um, because this is something that like, I think is important to me and Snap, less so for maybe other people, but like something that we care about is that this movie is very clearly based on like a particular moment in history and social movements particularly in the United States. Um, and it very, in the book, very explicitly kind of references um, things that happened in 2016 um, in U.S. politics. Um, and it, it's clear that it was a response to that. And for people who are, you know, invested in U.S. politics and who care about, you know, like the conversations that were happening around um, social movements and just, um, you know, all the the craziness surrounding um, that particular election. Like, it feels like this book was a response and kind of like a way of processing those emotions from that particular time in history. And so for, you know, people who were invested in that, reading about it in this way was kind of cathartic. It was like very meaningful in a way because it helped us process our feelings. And those feelings are all wrapped up also in this and this romance and this love story. Um, and so it's difficult for some of us to separate, you know, the story of um, Alex and Henry from this particular moment in time. Um, and so, you know, like in the movie, that's basically glossed over and that's fine. But like, um, you know, Snap and I and some other people feel like without that context, something is missing from that relationship because these two people are who they are because of like the context that they exist in. It's something that would date the story yeah. very much. Absolutely. Um, and I don't know if there's enough interest around that really for it to capture like a large audience in the way that the movie did. It's so funny, Serena, because I literally the other day was just looking at the acknowledgements like a uh, page in the book that Casey wrote and they wrote like I have it open right now they wrote like I came up with the idea for this book in early 2016 and then they say something about I you know they never imagined what it would turn out to be um and what 2016 would be and the fact that they like gave up on writing the book and instead of it like originally they were trying to write it as this tongue-in-cheek parallel universe but instead now, because of what happened at that time, you know, it had to be this escapist, like trauma soothing, 
alternate reality and one that's, you know, still has a lot of flaws, but in the end is like a little better and a little more optimistic than what actually happened. And I think you're like totally right that this is kind of why I have such a deep like love and special place in my heart for this story and for this book it's because like (laughs) those years were honestly like very traumatic for everyone who was going through it in real time and you know this story was such like a light that kind of was shining in that darkness (laughs) not to be like yeah dramatic but like it it really was like a commentary on that entire time and like how close we were to being the reality that's the book like how close we could have been to having this much better world and I don't know and I think that you know it was frustrating to me that those elements were cut from the movie and mostly definitely I think um, they were choices like you guys have both said that had to be made because there's no way it would have given uh, gotten the space that it deserved in a two-hour movie anyway Um, however like I still definitely like mourn the loss of them and I think like it is slightly disheartening to see like a story like this that you love like be picked up by you know a big company like Amazon which probably has you know its own reasons for washing those kind of things out of the story Mm -hmm. um so that's kind of like a, a whole topic in itself but you know it's it that that is like a a little bit of a disappointing <laughs> angle to think about it in. All that being said, like the movie that we got, like we obviously still love it, and the fact that you know they could only really make it a two-hour film. Like maybe if they'd made it like a two and a half-hour film, we could have gotten like some elements. But yeah, it's still it's still like there there wouldn't have been the proper space for it so maybe it's better that it's not there at all and and I think that like maybe not including stuff that are so like specific like that have like clear parallels in the real world make it a little bit more timeless I mean nothing is really timeless it's going to age right people are going to look back at the movie and you know but like without those specific references I think it it kind of extends the life yeah the longevity yeah yeah which is probably a smart thing to do. And yeah, I mean, like, let's just be real. Not everybody cares about the politics. Like a lot of people are like, yeah, it bored me. Or like, I wasn't, I just wasn't that interested into it, in it. I was just interested in the romance. And a lot of people who read the book feel that way. So I feel like maybe we are in the minority and that's okay. I think that that's totally fair. Like, I think there are people who are book fans even who maybe didn't enjoy the movie, but still like, it wasn't for the the missing of the political stuff. They they were upset with the movie for other reasons. And yeah, I think I think it's very true that we are probably in the minority for just caring so much. 
much about politics in general. I mean, I'm not I'm not American, but like I was in Washington D.C. during those that crazy time, and so like it's so visceral to me. Like it's just you know, and it's personal. Not everybody has that kind of emotional personal connection. connection. Yeah, and I think the end. Yeah, the end of the movie where they kind of try and and build that suspense, like to talk about things that were you know different between the two, like. It didn't it didn't work for me so well because they didn't they didn't really have any setup for, you know, what what the political stakes were and like why it was so difficult to win Texas, for example. I mean, they did seed a little bit into it with like Alex going and doing his little tour of Texas and trying to get more votes and all of that. But it, it was obviously for very different reasons than for in the book. And so I think the stakes there were maybe not as high. So it didn't feel like this victory the same way it did in the book. Like, I remember the first time I was, I know exactly where I was when I finished the book. I was in the back of an Uber listening to the end of the book. And I remember like the specific part when they win Texas and you kind of know that it's going to happen. You kind of like, if, if you believe in happy endings, I like, I still had a little bit of fear to be honest, because like, let's be honest, like Texas going blue in, in that time period was like just unrealistic. But anyway, I digress. But I remember the getting to the end of the book and just sobbing silently in the back of this Uber. <laughs> like I just had like tears running down my face as I'm listening to the end of this book and then having to immediately get out and go up to this hotel to meet my parents like as if everything was fine. And my parents are also very politically involved. So I was kind of trying to tell them, like, oh, I was listening to this book and it was like an alternate reality of current situation. But anyway, so it was just like a very um, formative kind of experience for me to read that. Um, and I guess formative is probably the wrong word, but it was it was like a very poignant experience. And in terms of incorporating like some of the political stuff, I feel like they did do that. Um you know, when they develop like Alex's character and how passionate he is in the movie about, you know, his Texas strategy and winning Texas for his mom and like talking with Henry about his political aspirations and tying that back to his identity as a person of color and wanting to make a difference and wanting to be, you know, a person in politics that his father didn't see growing up, you know, like someone with his background and I thought that was very well done and that personally resonated with me as a person of color you know who who does care very much about politics and who has worked in politics so I thought you know like they weren't able to include everything but like that's a very integral part of um, Alex's personality and I think that you know they they brought that into the movie I also was gonna say that like I, I guess as sort of like a counterpoint to your guys's like feelings on the political aspect i i mean i'm not american i'm canadian and our politics you know um are are deeply affected by the political climate of the u.s very much so and so i i feel as someone who cares about politics and as someone who pays attention to it that 
the book missed the mark a little bit on it for me because I would say in general, I am interested in political stories. I wasn't interested in the political aspect of the book at all. (laughs) I didn't find it very, and and this is kind of the, I feel the, the difficulty of it is that there's an attempt to straddle the line between reality and fantasy. And I don't know how well it goes because there's a lot of like hard reality, like Henry isn't going to be accepted by the royals for coming out. That's like a very strong thread that goes through the book and the movie. But if we're talking specifically about the book here, then like that's like a very strong theme. Like the upper crust royals of England aren't going to accept him for coming out. And that's a hard reality. And it's very much a big part of the book. And to have that part to be so like set in reality and then to have such an optimistic point of view for the US felt like just so absurd to me (laughs) and it felt so they're handing us two different stories one set in like a hard reality of a gay prince of England who can't come out and then to have this other side where quite frankly it's a fantasy of a reality that I, I couldn't see existing at that time when the book came out or at this time like I still feel likelihood of a divorced woman who has half Mexican children being elected president of the United States pretty much an impossibility and if it was going to be a sort of fantasy reality then I feel like it needed to be more of a fantasy reality across the board but it's not and so it ends kind of coming across as like a half-hearted like oh well everything's going really well in the United States but over in England they're still stuck in the dark ages like no babes we're in the dark ages too over here like (laughs) it's 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 so yeah that's so interesting Katie like I really appreciate like hearing your perspective on that because I think a lot of people feel that way um like I have other friends who um, kind of didn't like the book for for similar reasons. But I actually don't feel like that the contrast is as stark as as you're saying, mostly because I think that for one, like the the situation in England where Henry, you know, has to be closeted and everything, in the end also turns out to be you know, an optimistic scenario, right? He does end up getting support from at least his mom to come out. And then the um, country kind of does fall in behind him. And then on the other side of the pond, the US, like the way that it's portrayed in the book, like, although I completely agree with you that it's very unlikely that a divorced woman with biracial children could win the White House at this moment or in the previous moment. I do think that a woman president could have won. Like, I think that the situation that we found ourselves in a few years ago was very, very particular. But anyway, besides besides that, I think that Alex's story is actually more similar to Henry's story than is portrayed in the movie for example like I think in the movie 
we do get this very stark contrast where the U.S., like, everything is fine. Like, Alex's family, like, accepts him right away. And, like, we don't really focus on the struggle that Alex goes through. But in the book, like, Alex is pretty scared of what, like, how damaging, like, coming out could be to his mom's campaign, to his career. And we kind of see how, you know, the other political side uses it to to its advantage tries to essentially prey on you know Alex's sexuality and his relationship with the Prince of England to you know to force the country's hand and to kind of basically showing that like you know the country would not accept this kind of uh, a relationship so I I guess I, what I'm saying is that I think that like this idea that like the U.S. was like perfect and England wasn't is maybe like maybe they're closer or at least the way I read the book I felt like this the situation was closer between the two countries than than was portrayed in the movie but I yeah it's also like totally dependent on you know how individual people read the story and also like how maybe close you are to the politics like like you were saying Katie like Canadian politics are very affected by u.s politics and i don't know it's the situation in the u.s is really weird and interesting right now where like we're at the point where some states are so unimaginably red that were not before and texas is a weird case where it's actually going the other way a little bit like Anyway, we don't have to get into all of that, but... I think, like, a big part could be that the book is from Alex's point of view. And so I think just in general, we get a bigger spectrum from him about, like, the good and bad of the U.S. Whereas, like, and not a lot happens. I mean, nothing happens from Henry's point of view in the book, but it's also, like, Alex's interactions with the U.K. are that... He thinks that they're trying to keep Henry closeted. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's really one of like the biggest things that he has with the UK or with England. I, I wonder if that kind of plays into it of like it feeling like the UK is mostly negative, whereas the US has the space to be both positive and negative. Right. Because you're seeing it through his eyes. Yeah. You mean, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like the portrayal of politics was not um, perfect by any means, you know, and, you know, we can argue about like the level of, of realism and whether realism was really necessary to tell the story and like how much um, belief you're willing to suspend. Right. But like, I think in the book, the, the political plot was really central to Alex and Henry's journey and Alex's coming out in a way that it wasn't in the movie. And it's fine that they made those changes for the purposes of telling the story that they wanted to tell in the movie. And I think it just, you know, it hit different in the book for me. Um, And, you know, just like the stakes felt bigger and the way that the relationship was outed in the book was so much more painful, I think than it was in the movie because it was wrapped up in something so much bigger than a personal vendetta of like a spurned lover journalist person who we all hate like fuck you miguel am i allowed to say that on the podcast? 
But yeah, so I, I did particularly love, you know, like way that the relationship was outed in the movie. And I mean, I guess it was like a, it was a plot device that I suppose made sense. I just, it's one of the things that I don't particularly like about it. Was, it was a little bit tropey and like a little bit of a silly storyline. And I think they could have like done something different from the book if they didn't want to go into the political thing without maybe doing the whole burned lover thing. But I will say that Henry's reaction, or rather Nicholas Galaxine's like acting in that particular scene where he finds out. Was so good. And we don't get to see his perspective at all in the book. So like them flipping that in the movie and us getting to sit with Henry instead of Alex in that moment, I thought was really great. It was, yeah, it was incredibly well done. I think it was probably one of my favorite pieces of acting in the movie um just like the evolution of his face when he finds out the fact that he shouts at sean like i give the orders in this palace like that oh my god uh, uh, chilling like it was it was really well done i will say though i randomly saw a tumblr post the other day that was like talking about how they're really grateful that they switched the perspective from Alex to Henry at that point because because they do they they switch it a little earlier right than that they switch it right when Henry leaves Alex at the lake and they were like if if we had to watch Alex waking up on screen alone that would have been like horrifying which now that they pointed that out I was like fuck like I now I want to see that (laughs) that would have been like I'm so glad we got to see Henry's perspective because it was so good but like damn that would have been such good like cinematic angst I needed more angst from that like whole portion of the movie which I understand that you can't like there is a time limit there is two hours to tell the story and they did it really well but like I wanted the angst of that moment to be dragged out a little bit because I love the dramatic confrontation in the rain outside Kensington Palace. Yeah, and we've talked about this before too, Serena. Like, I mean, I think that the shot where we see Alex standing in the uh, in the stairwell or whatever he's doing, just like very where he's soaking wet. Great man, like his like arms are so straight, his legs are like apart, just you know, it's, he looks like a statue it's such it literally looks like the emoji yeah exactly it's such a funny shot it just like takes me out a little bit and laugh and like I just have to laugh but that scene was really well done I just do wish that we had gotten Alex like screaming outside the castle being like you know whatever he says like fucking let me in or you know he's just like screaming his head off until Henry is like it was such a dramatic moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like these two gays are like the drama queens and I love yeah, it. And especially, especially Alec and Henry's like, shut the fuck up. You're going to wake up the whole castle. Like, please just come in. If you'll be quiet, I'm going to let you say your piece and then you can leave. And it was such a rom-com moment too, right? I mean, because we see that in straight yeah, like, yeah. romantic movies. Like the grand romantic gesture and like being like messy in public. Yeah, yeah, and- yeah. But like talking about, again, like the difference between straight movies and queer ones is, okay, Matthew Michael Lopez made a comment on that scene saying that, I, I don't remember which of the actors of him and, I think maybe him and Nick discussed it, that 
like Alex coming in with that level and height of energy would have put Henry off immediately. And I actually fully agree with that. I think that it works in straight movies because the straight movies don't care about the real emotions, especially because it's usually the man doing the grand gesture to the woman. Mm -hmm. They don't care about the emotions of the woman usually in these rom-coms. And no matter what the man does, the woman is going to take him back because that's how things go in rom-coms. And it doesn't really matter what the the woman's emotional response to that would be. But like, I, I fully agree. I think that if I was being confronted like that, and if someone came at me with that really aggressive, loud, angry energy, I would not want to hear them out. I would be like, get out of my face. I don't want to talk to you if you're going to come in here. I hear what you're saying, Katie. And I don't think it would have worked in the movie because that timeline, that timeline was so compressed compared to the way that it plays out in the book. And so like, if you come in with that energy, like you can't easily resolve it. I mean, in the way that it was in the movie, it was fairly um, a short sequence where, you know, there is a reconciliation and they're back into like, you know, like being on the same page. But like in the book, there was more time that passed um, in between those scenes. And so I feel like it might've worked if they'd had more time because then you can process the emotions, right? Like they have time to work through it. Like they have a conversation and like you know they kind of have like sad sort of breakup sex um before coming to an understanding of each other and there wasn't really time to get into that in the movie so i think that it's clear that they're making very deliberate and considered choices in what they change and what they include and i appreciate that but i i just really enjoyed how it played out in the book yeah no absolutely i think i think that's actually like really good point katie about like how you would react like i feel like as you were talking about it i was like oh if i was in that situation that's exactly how i would react too but also yeah like i would have love to see it play out Serena like you're saying but there wasn't there wasn't time if you were Henry I can see how like that would be like off-putting and make you want to retreat but like I relate so much to Alex and I would be that person outside the building like screaming their head off like you motherfucker you come down here and you talk to me like I can I can see myself doing that so like super relatable and that's where I'm coming from recorded too much content I think for one episode if we were going to release it all at once it was going to be like two and a half hours three hours long and so we've decided to split the red white and royal blue episode into two separate episodes the second one will be coming out in a little while I am still editing it but yeah, um, we'll have that to look forward to in in the upcoming few weeks. I mean, we could probably do five full episodes on Red, White, and Royal Blue, but we're not going to do that. I know. I was thinking about that. I was like, I feel like I could keep talking about it. I also thought that maybe, I don't know if we want to do this, but we could even like, we have that whole recording of us like live reacting to the movie. And maybe we can like eventually kind of edit that and release it as like a bonus episode.
I, I don't know. I don't remember what we talked about while we were live watching. I feel like it was very incoherent. I don't know if that's really simple. <laughs> it could be fun There's though. Like you like incoherent screaming and like, yeah. yeah, just enthusiastic noises. You can like sync it up with your own watch of the movie and then like watch along with our common commentary, you know? Let's talk about what we're hyper fixating on. You were just um, talking about our flag means death to me. Yes. So the uh, second season of our flag means death was just released. You can watch it on HBO Max. And I have been a big fan since season one and I'm really enjoying season two. And I don't want to give anything away, but it is like the gayest show on TV right now. And that's saying something because there's a lot of great queer content on, on TV right now. But this show, it just really leans into queer joy. And I just, I don't know how to explain it, but as someone who's been in fandom for a long time, you're used to watching TV shows where, you know, you feel like it's not going to deliver on certain character arcs or relationships. But this show does not disappoint and it goes over and beyond and it's just delightful. So if you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's great. Yeah, I think that I I watched the first season. I feel like maybe I need to rewatch it because I don't remember much about it. And also, I kind of, I, I hate when I do this, but I did unfortunately do this when I was watching Our Flag Means Death, but I sort of had it running as I was doing other things, mm -hmm. um, especially for like the last few episodes of the first season. And so I feel like I sort of missed <laughs> a lot of stuff that happened in like the last couple episodes. Well, it deserves your full attention. Yeah. Every time I see like a Tumblr post from like the first season and it's something that I don't remember at all. I'm like, oh, that's probably like from the first or from the last couple episodes where I was kind of like just had it on in the background while I was doing other stuff. But yeah, I definitely I mean, I feel like I need to rewatch the first season and then rejoin everybody for the second season because I, I, I would really like to be on board, pardon the pun, with uh, this TV show. <laughs> I think the relationship between um, the creators of the show and the actors and the fandom is really lovely in a way that feels fairly new. I mean, if you've been in, in fandom for a long time, you you know that that relationship can be kind of tense between the creators and the fans, and some of them don't respond very well to fan art and fanfic. Um, and just from what I've seen of interactions between fan the fandom and um, the actors and the creators, it's all been so lovely and such just wonderful vibes. And they know, like, the kind of they know their fans. They're leaning into like fandom culture. And I thought it was really cute that the tagline for season two was prepare for your ship to get wrecked. <gasps> and in, in one of the episodes um, that have aired, there is a throwaway line about docking. <gasps> and the way that I screeched, like <gasps> laughing out loud at my TV and my, my, my partner, who is male and straight, laugh too but i don't think he understood the significance you don't think he knows what rocking is i don't think he knows what it is and i'm afraid I, i'm kind of afraid to ask him because then i'll have to explain but maybe we should have that conversation but like if you know you know and the way that i i just screeched at that line it was so oh funny my gosh i mean i just literally gasped hearing you say it <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, amazing. Yeah. Oh man, now I really now I really want to watch it. Okay. I'll get on it. I'll get on it. 
But for myself, this isn't, I mean, okay, it's not inherently queer, I would say, but my sort of hyperfixation right now is hosier. Um, I just saw him live in concert. I, I had to go travel to see him because he wasn't coming to my city. But yeah, I don't know. I, I've always been a really big fan, but, you know, getting to see him live has really like sparked really sparked something in me that has made me like re-obsessed with him. And he's very queer coded. Yeah, uh, for a for a very straight man, um he's he's queer coded. I would say like it's funny whenever I have to explain to people who are not part of the community that Hosier is like a a lesbian bisexual kind of like women who love women icon <laughs> because absolutely I don't know they always like kind of laugh and I'm like it is kind of funny but it's also like very true like he is kind of mm-hmm. an icon in the community I feel like he sort of speaks to the intensity in which we like have feelings more so than like our mm-hmm. experiences with men I would say um, mm-hmm. especially I would say for you know bisexual people who maybe have experiences with men and women and it's just like the way that he talks about love and like experiencing love for a woman feels so much more aligned with how women love other women I guess Mm -hmm. that is that is the best explanation I can come up with there's probably people who can explain that better than I can but I feel like he's sort of like an honorary queer icon yeah it was amazing the concert was great can you share your um your concert experience which is a like a fanfic plot (laughs) (laughs) yeah this was so cute i was getting to the arena and i was waiting to cross the street and i saw someone kind of looking at me so i kind of looked at them and i smiled and then they she approached me and she let me know that she had seen me on our flight we were on the same flight into the city to see the concert and I was like oh that's crazy um and we were like talking about it and she asked me where my seat was and I let her know I was like in the 300 level um I bought like a very last minute ticket it was completely sold out by the way it was crazy but yeah so she was like oh well I have like 100 level tickets and I was like oh that's so great and it turned out that she was supposed to be going to the concert with an ex But since obviously they broke up in between buying concert tickets and getting to the show, she had an extra ticket and she offered it to me, which I took because her seats were better than mine. And um, yeah, we like hung out for the whole concert. We waited together. The merch lineup was insane. And I'm like a really big merch junkie. Like I buy a t-shirt for every single concert I go to. So we waited together and like, she didn't even buy anything. I felt bad because we were in line for like half an hour, but she waited with me and then we went and yeah, sat together, watched the show together. I helped her find her hotel after the show. This is such a fanfic plot. It is a fanfic And like plot. my toxic trait is like, I romanticize all my interactions with women. <laughs> so like, I, I would be totally Delulu at this point. I was sort of because I was like, I was scared to ask because she didn't specify the pronouns of her mm-hmm. ex at any point. And she's at a hosier concert, so and we just talked about exactly. how exactly. <laughs> and I will say, like the hosier audience, that was like the queerest and like safest space I've like maybe ever experienced in my life. 
everyone at that show was so nice and so queer and like I don't know the vibes were just like so good I've never been to a concert where so many like everyone was just there and had like like positive intentions Mm -hmm. like I don't know I've had some pretty like not great experiences with audience members at concerts I also recently saw Beyonce and she's amazing but I had a few like issues with people in the audience who were just being kind of like rude and I I feel like disrespectful but yeah I don't know the crowd at Hosier was just so great and yeah definitely very queer so like I don't know maybe maybe maybe. (laughs) wouldn't surprise me subscribe to the (laughs) podcast to find out where this goes (laughs) I know we didn't exchange information oh, no. or anything. Though. You're going to find a post online somewhere like missed connection. If you were at the Hosier concert, maybe she'll find this podcast maybe. and then concert girl. If you're out there, please let us know. I feel silly I, that I didn't like exchange information with her or anything. Um, if you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, um, please follow us on all our social media. We're on Tumblr, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can listen to the podcast on Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Podbean, Podchaser, and TuneIn. We are Bisexual Breakdown on all of those platforms. Yes. And we are working on um, getting on Apple Music for our um, Apple Music podcast listeners. You can also send us an email at bisexualbreakdown at gmail.com or leave us a comment on any of our platforms. And speaking of which, uh, we got a quite a long and very thoughtful um, and interesting comment on YouTube. So we'd like to read that and respond to some of the questions. Yeah, as we mentioned, um, we got a very lovely comment on our uh, YouTube channel of our intro episode. And this person is asking um, if we are planning on talking to people with other identities and their experiences in fandom spaces. Um, or mostly focusing on bisexuality. They mentioned that it might be cool to talk to others and their experiences at some point if you want to or can. Um, That's definitely something actually we talked about. We are very much planning on doing an episode where we talk to other fandom people and their fandom experience, basically. And I wouldn't say that we would limit that to just bisexual people. I mean, mm-hmm. not every single person I know in fandom is is bi. So uh, I think, yeah, we would like to kind of open that up um, to hear more, more experiences. Yeah, I think that would be a really interesting conversation because a lot of people figured out their queer identities by engaging with fandom, right? And so there are people, you know, across the spectrum who came to an understanding of themselves by talking with other fans, consuming media, and reading fanfic. And so I think that would be a really cool thing to talk about and specifically experiences of of different identities. And what was it in fandom that was a light bulb moment for you or, you know, helped you understand something deeply about yourself? Yeah, for sure. Basically, the comment also goes on to say that they're a huge uh, Red, White, and Royal Blue fan who liked both the book and the movie for different reasons. So hopefully you will enjoy the episodes we are putting out about Red, White, and Royal Blue. They're definitely about the book and the movie and just kind of like comparing what we liked more about one or the other and the ways in which they differ. So hopefully you enjoyed the first part of our Red, White, and Royal Blue episodes. I think that's everything. 
Yay. Thanks, Katie. Yeah. All that's left to say is bye. Bye for now. Bye for always. Bye. Bye.